Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. This week. Uh, again, I'm just really glad you're here this morning. Those of you that have joined us on the live stream, we're glad you've joined us as well. Um, we've been going through the book of Acts in our uh, weekly studies, but we're taking a break this morning because I wanted to talk about the greatest reset. And uh, we are going to be, uh, that's kind of a word that we're hearing lately, right? The reset. Um, we're going to be looking at a few different scriptures, and I've got them listed there. And we're kind of, we're going to kind of skim through them. This is not normal for me, by the way. I normally just go chapter and verse all the way through. And uh, but we're going to do a little bit of jumping around this morning. But hopefully, you'll leave here blessed and encouraged. And so the greatest reset. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we are rejoicing with saints all over the world, Lord, that are celebrating your resurrection this morning, Lord God. And Lord, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world. Lord, we pray for those that, Lord, are in places where they can't openly celebrate. Lord, we're praying for those brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, Lord, that maybe they're in persecution or, Lord, they're in war-torn areas where they, where they just simply can't gather together like we are this morning. Lord, we lift them up to you. We ask your blessing upon them. Uh, Lord, your protection that you'd be with them. Lord, we pray this morning that, uh, Lord, as we here are celebrating your resurrection, Lord, I pray that the words that you are alive would ring out from not only from this church, but from every church in our community and throughout the state and throughout the world, Lord God, uh, that the word would get out that you're alive. And so this morning, Lord, we just rejoice in you. We ask your blessing on the teaching of your word this morning, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, I was reading an article uh, just the other day, and it was in the, it's from the Washington Examiner, and the title of it is, The Great Reset is Very Real and a Grave Threat to democracy, I'm gonna read this to you. Not every global conspiracy of wealthy elites bent on world domination has its own publicly available website, but the Great Reset, proposed by members of the World Economic Forum is an exception, complete with a published list of co-conspirators, including Amazon, Google, Huawei, I think that's how you pronounce it, Technologies, Saudi Aramco, and Volkswagen. The Great Reset launched in June 2020 with a mission statement that reads as follows. The COVID-19, this is their statement, the COVID-19 crisis and the political, economic, and social disruptions it has caused is fundamentally changing the traditional context for decision making. As we enter a unique window of opportunity to shape the recovery, this initiative will offer insights to help inform all those determining the future state of global relations, the direction of national economies, the priorities of societies, the nature of business models, and the management of a global commons. Drawing from the vision and vast expertise of the leaders engaged across the forum's communities, the Great Reset Initiative has a set of dimensions to build a new social contract that honors the dignity of every human being. And then the, the writer of this article makes this comment. When the World Economic Forum talks about leaders and their expertise, 
They're not talking about the democratically elected leaders of sovereign nations. They are talking about the offers, excuse me, about the officers of the global corporations that make up the forum's communities. So it's interesting. The World Economic Founda uh, uh, Foundation founder, Klaus Schwab, wrote in a book, and you might have heard this because I know it was out in the news fire. It's a book he wrote entitled The Great Reset. That's where you'll own nothing and be happy. And you'll notice that he said that's when you'll own nothing. Not, not, that's when we'll all own nothing because, you know, they'll own or will own nothing, but we'll be happy about it. You see, this great reset the World Economic Forum is trying to push is for the benefit of the very few wealthy and the very few powerful individuals. It's not for the benefit of everyone else. And the reason why I bring that up this morning is how opposite is that of our Savior? Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Right? God coming down, becoming a man, dying on the cross for our sins, humbling himself to become a man, to pay the price for our sins. But you know, to be honest with you, the concept of a reset is appealing. It really is. You don't like the way things are going, man, it'd be nice to just start all over. You know, the word reset means to set, to adjust, or to fix in a new or different way. Wouldn't we all like the opportunity for a do-over? You know, when kids play games, you know, the video games, it's like they got all these lives. You know, the Super Mario Brothers, they kept hitting those, shows you my age, right? They, keep, they, they hit these bricks and they get all these lives and so they get wiped out. Hey, I, that's right, I got eight more lives, you know. Um, that's an appealing thing. Well, in Genesis chapter 6, that's the first passage we're going to look at. And if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there, if you have your Bibles with you. In Genesis chapter 6, God looked at the wickedness of man and decided that a great reset was in order. And I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. There's what's interesting to note in that passage. You know, people often associate God's judgment with actions, with our actions, right? In other words, if I do good or if I'm at least not as bad as the next guy, God will overlook my faults. But like this verse that I just read points out, God looks at the heart, the heart of man. And what does he see? Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things, uh, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? You know, when I think of myself, I think I'm a pretty nice guy, but you know, when I compare myself to God's word, I go, man, I don't stack up. I don't measure up to his holiness. In fact, Paul said this in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's a misconception that people have. People think that um, they're sinners uh, because they sin. In other words, if I just didn't sin, I wouldn't be a sinner. 
But the reality is we sin because we are sinners. It's a heart issue. There's a heart problem that manifests itself in our actions. And unfortunately, the Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this reset that God was going to do back that's described in Genesis chapter 6, it would result in the death of almost every, of almost the entire population of the earth at that time. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. But then there's another verse in there. Genesis 6, chapter, uh, verse 8, excuse me. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I love that verse. It's the first mention of grace in the Bible. Grace means unmerited favor. Actually, God's unmerited favor. And so God looked upon Noah with grace. Noah didn't earn grace. God extended grace to Noah. Paul said this in Ephesians 2 verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. John Corson says this, No other religion or philosophy provides unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. Every other religion, every other philosophy says there are things we must do, devotional exercises, good deeds, or righteous acts to earn blessings from Allah or to gain favor from Buddha. Only biblical Christianity says it's all grace, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And so Noah found favor, found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but God's grace had an impact on his life. In verse 9 there of chapter 6, it says, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begat, uh, begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I want to just take a couple minutes and look at that. First of all, Noah was a just man. What does that mean, just? doesn't mean he was just a man, but he was just man. That means someone or something is considered to be just or righteous because of conformity to a given standard. In Noah's case, he conformed himself to God's standard. And it wasn't that he conformed himself to God's standard and then God extended grace to him. No, grace is unearned favor, but grace had an impact on Noah's life. And so he conformed to God's standard as opposed to the rest of his generation those who rejected God and his standard. So Noah was a just man. Noah was perfect in his generations. And of course, that does not mean that he was sinless. It's an adjective meaning blameless or complete. And when you look at that word in the Old Testament, half of the times that it's described in the Old Testament, it's used to describe an animal to be sacrificed to the Lord, whether it's a ram or whether it's a bull or a lamb or anything. If it's blameless, it means that there's no hidden flaws. There's no, there's no like it doesn't have a limp or it doesn't have this, this mottled skin or whatever. It's, 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 it's the perfect substitute, perfect sacrifice. There's no hidden flaws, no hypocrisy in Noah's life. You see, Noah loved God with all his heart, with all his understanding, with all his soul, and with all his strength. And again, you contrast that to the generation that he lived in. Every intent of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. 
And then it says, Noah walked with God. That's a verb that metaphorically is describing the pathway or behavior of one's life. The fact that Noah walked with God implies that he was near to God. He was in fellowship with God. He followed God, and he lived his life in daily dependence upon God. That's what it means to walk with God. Again, you contrast that with the rest of his generation. They were corrupt and had corrupted their way. And that word 